Welcome to the Fast Forward podcast, the series dedicated to answering the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. Today, I wanted to talk about pivoting. Pivoting your business and the reasons that you might consider for doing that. You may not be aware, but many successful businesses started off as something different. Facebook was intended to actually be a dating site, but it changed course when it discovered how crowded that marketplace was. Slack's another great example. It began as a tool for game developers just to talk to each other and has now developed into a real-time messaging and sharing platform for teams from any industry. And my guest today has done something of the same ilk. She's pivoted her business after recognising a real issue in the camping and leisure industry. So here today to tell us why she did it and how she did it, um, welcome Julianne Parker from Million Stars. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for, for coming down. Um, Jilly, I, uh, I remember first coming across you as a judge for VentureFest and we'll talk about that in a minute. And you stood out like a star that day um, with your pitch, uh, which was so brought to life by how you told your story. So tell us a little bit about Million Stars and as of today, what, what it does and how it does it. Okay, so Million Stars Sustainable Events, as it is today, uh, is a, an a environmental consultancy, but an environmental consultancy with a difference. We literally practice what we preach. Uh, so we can be best described in three work streams. One, we host our own events. We hire out equipment, tents, camping chairs uh, and catering equipment. And we have our own uh, in-house camping club, registered camping club, which means that we can camp on any land within the UK without a formal licence agreement, just with the landowner's um, permission. The second work stream is our consultancy services. So sustainability professionals by trade. We deliver the UK's first collaborative learning programme in sustainable events, working towards a globally recognised international management standard in sustainable events. And historically, um, this standard is standard has only been accessible to larger stadiums, um, larger festivals, and we're trying to make it accessible to all. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we've developed a, a, a collaborative learning programme to share the cost between um, similar organisations and to nurture peer-to-peer learning. And then the third work stream is, I'm sure we'll touch on it a, a little bit more, um, we use waste as a force for social good. So we take waste generated from the hospitality, tourism, leisure uh, industries and we develop new ways uh, to reuse it, to, to reduce that uh, waste going to landfill. Uh, so it's three different work streams and, and that's where we are today. It's a, it's such a, a, an important topic, you know, mm. in terms of landfill and the, the vast amounts of waste that are, that are going in there. Um, so let's go back to 2015 uh, when you founded uh, the business. Um, what had it originally set out to do and um, what, what kind of motivated you to launch the business in the first place? Tell us a bit about you and what you were doing at the time. Okay. Um, prior to, to starting Million Stars, uh, I worked in social housing um, and I'd been in that um, job for, for about 10 years in a strategic role. Um, and I started in homelessness. Um, so social need was something I was very passionate about. Mm. Um, and I'd been 
known for developing environmental programmes and using the environment as a way of tackling social need. So training unemployed people to become beekeepers um, and, and setting up their own bee enterprise programme uh, business, sorry. Uh, we created um, community allotments out of brownfield sites um, within disused areas within the community. So it was always about using the environment as, as that vehicle to, to, to make change, to tackle social need. And I knew very clearly that that's what I wanted to continue to do uh, initially as a social enterprise um, when I was in a position to take voluntary redundancy. Uh, so we founded, or I founded Million Stars back in September 2015 with a, a view of encouraging families to go offline and outdoors, off-grid, um, but underpinned by environmental education. So it was about taking families away from their um, home environment where children are dependent on TV and Wii's yeah. and, you know, Addicted all this. to tablets. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, awful, so yeah. Yeah, it's a fortnight and, and whatnot. And we... we wanted to take families um, offline for a retreat for two, three days. Uh, we provided um, all the activities throughout that two or three days. We provided all the camping equipment. So there was no upfront cost. They didn't have to find storage for bulky camping equipment. We provided everything for them. And it was about, as I say, underpinned by environmental education. So it was doing bushcraft activities, building resilience, doing campfire cookery classes. And it was really quite successful um, and as a, a bootstrapping business mm. um, I couldn't meet demand I only had a certain amount of, amount of tents and I needed to get more tents and that's where um, we went to festivals and I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that experience as we go along um, but that's how it started and it was about you know camping was what underpinned us we, we got our camping uh, exemption certification quite early on um, and that's where the business started. It's quite different to where we are today. So was it the demand for the original business that actually caused the pivot rather than sort of other uh, external factors? Or t- talk to us a bit about what actually sort of prompted that. It's not so much a pivot, it's maybe more of an expansion, I think. Both? Uh, it, it, a little bit of both? I suppose it is. We, we still do the camping. Yeah. Um, not as much, but we still do those those activities. It is a seasonal activity. Um, so what happened was we, we, as a bootstrapping business, needed more tents. I contacted, um, it was V Festival at the time, mm-hmm. and Creamfields. Uh, explained the situation and said, can we come and collect some tents that have been abandoned? They said, yes, of course. Uh, it wasn't all this straightforward, I must say. <laughs> um, I, well, tell us about the challenges around that, because I think that's the, um, it's really important that people understand that it's the challenges and that, you face when you're trying to get a business off the ground so I'll tell you one of the challenges I faced um in the first 12 months and and I can identify this with my previous role because I used to commission projects and commission um a variety of programs across Liverpool city region and when you're looking at awarding a contract to someone or any kind of business Mm. you've got to complete due diligence on that organisation. And if they're in their infancy, it's going to increase the risk. The risk of not them not turning up, the risk of them not doing what they say they're going to do, breaching contract, whatever it might be. So I can understand from the festival organiser's point of view, yeah. 
if they're going to put in measurements to, you know, do a health and safety induction and, and everything yeah. else for a company that's only been in existence for a few months, it is a risk to and them. And hasn't done this before. And hasn't done this before. And to be honest, I'd never been to a festival before as well. <laughs> I'd never really shel- sheltered life. And I'd, you know, I'd uh, never been to... Um, carnage. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it took some persuasion to, to let them... Um, allow us into the festivals at the end and that was helped because we worked with Lloyds Bank mm-hmm. so as part of a CSR initiative we had volunteers from Lloyds Bank which strengthened the case we got them yeah. on, on board quite it's early on it your credibility it does indeed yeah so so that experience that you had from your previous role you understood you were able to address those um, concerns because I'm sure yeah. they were looking at you going who's this blade yeah, you know, yeah. she's going to yeah. come and get. And what's really going to do yeah. these tents? Yeah, I had to put a business case, even though they weren't paying us. Yeah, it, we were self-financing it. We were, yeah. you know, although we're taking waste and it's free, you still have to pay for van hire, insurance, storage, mm-hmm. you know, Liability, volunteer exp- yeah. expenses, everything else. So, so there is still a cost associated with it. Um. And we had to persuade them to allow us to, to come in. Well, they couldn't have you going out on this, like going out in the street the following week saying at tents for sale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and things like that happened. And again, the festival environment, we, we don't talk about it, but, you know, there are drugs there. There are mm-hmm. even sometimes weapons get in or things that yeah. can be used as weapons. And we have to be really careful when we go into the tents at the end of the festival because... yeah. The amount of things that you find, you know, we, we couldn't take children and we have a lot of parents say, can we bring our children to volunteer? And we, we, we just can't, you know, allow it because yeah. of some of the things we find. So um, there was this one moment when we were at um, both V Festival and Creamfields where I was on my own, um, just separate from the volunteers. Um, and I remember seeing this man-made mountain and it was like standing next to Mulvama. It was absolutely incredible. It was, you know, equivalent to, you know, a, a, a small block of flats. That's how yeah. high this man-made mountain was. And it was just tense. I'm coming from a, a background of working with really in one of the most deprived boroughs in the UK, you know, re- people who were in extreme poverty. And that is happening in this country. Believe it or not, it really is happening. Families are struggling to put food on the table. People are struggling to heat their homes. It happens day in, day out. I found it absolutely abhorrent that this amount of waste could be generated, that it was acceptable to generate this amount of waste. You know, it wasn't just tents. It was non-perishable food. There was clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was thing, toiletries, things that could have gone to better use. And most of these things were, were not unopened. Um, yeah. And I just the found people it, can't be bothered tramping back to their yeah, cars because yeah, they've been, yeah. you know, on a, having a great time for yeah, three days. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's not. There's no value in it to yeah. them. They probably bought it just for that festival. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, from an environmental point of view and a social point of view, I just found it. You know, this is we've got to do something about this. Yeah. And that's where that big pivot came in. Um, you know, we literally took a step back and changed the whole business to this one experience this one day of being at a festival we just thought this is there's a problem here yeah we've got to solve it um and, and that's how we changed the business was it difficult to do um you know obviously you had a thriving you know kind of events based part of the business was yeah. it difficult to to make that switch or what things did you have to do to make it happen i think the hardest thing was we'd built up 
we call them our starry tribe. So it was our little group of followers. We had families who came to us literally every week of the summer holidays. They were coming to us. They were spending the weekends with us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, you know, I, I still think that's a very special thing that they're choosing to spend their free time, their summer holidays with us. And we were known as a camping business. So it was quite difficult to change perceptions. But a camping business is seasonal. Yeah. So that allowed us a period of time over the, the winter to, to change our strategy, to change our brand, to, to put out different messages um, and come back the following year with a different story. But we had to di disappoint people. We had to disappoint, you know, families that are, were expecting to spend yeah. the summer with us again. And, and that's quite hard. So we still, even now, still do camping um, weekends just really to, to maintain... Our friendship and our, our yeah. relationship with our clients. That it's like a community aspect is, to what you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. From, from when we started. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the hardest thing. It was disappointing that the little following that we'd, we'd, you know, secured quite early on. And changing the message as well. So I'd been known, I'm quite gobby, I'm quite vocal. <laughs> I'd been the face of this camping business. We were known as the one of the first um, urban camping specialists in the UK. We were really champion, championing it the um, movement of urban camping. So the alternative to going to the more traditional rural sites, we were actually saying, let's utilise urban green space. Uh, local authorities were desperate for money. We were saying, we can generate income for you. Let us use your site. So it was qu all quite new and exciting. Mm. Um, but that was a, a big change. You know, I'd been known for that and that was quite hard changing that culture yeah. or expectation from people. So the, the the focus of the business then becomes very much um, the the social good, and mm -hmm. it sounds like almost like you're killing two birds with one stone, fixing an environmental problem, but also doing good for, yeah. for other communities. Um, so you're using now waste um, um, in, in in that sort of um, social good space. Yeah. Tell us a bit about how you're doing that, and some of the work, for example, that you're doing with the prisons. Okay, so. We started, when we went to the festivals, we did recover some some tents that we still reuse now. We, we repurposed them, we still reuse them. But actually, the, the reality is, I'd say 95% of the tents that we recover that are abandoned are either damaged, uh, soiled, um, beyond repair, mm -hmm. basically. So actually, what you, you effectively have is a lot of tents um, that are fabric on poles um so we we thought well if we can't reuse them for camping how else can we reuse this fabric effectively yeah uh, and and then we started exploring we initially worked with um john moore's university we had this idea to um turn the the festival waste into a fashion collection we didn't know whether it was feasible was that their idea or it was our idea, idea? We, we had a, an idea we, we went to john moore's and said oh not sure if this is going to work. I'm not sure if the sewing machines can handle, you know, this type of fabric. Would you like to have a bash at it with us? Um, so it was reducing the risk to us as a startup business. We weren't um, going to a factory and investing thousands of pounds in producing a, a fashion line yeah. that we didn't know was going to work or be be usable. Mm. So we, we worked with the students and that was a, a, a two-month um, R&D project and then going into actually designing and making a hundred piece fashion collection and that proved to us what it delayed the project slightly because we you know it was a six months working 
with, with the university, but it proved to us that the concept works, that actually this material can be upcycled into wearable clothing. Mm-hmm. So we we did that project with John Moores initially, um, and then we went back to the festivals last summer, so we, we got a whole new um, hundreds of tents again, um, we from the same two, or did you go to more festivals? We went to more festivals last year. Yeah, um, the biggest I, I, I think we do the biggest team that we have is is Creamfields, probably because it's closest to our to our neck of the woods. Um, so we recovered all these tents, and going back to the camping business, we'd been uh, put together a proposal for one of the open prisons in our region, and that was to deliver contact visits for children and their parents um, in prison who were in six months prior to, to release to build that relationship with the um, parents and, and children um, to foster stronger families that had been a, away for a prolonged period of time. So we'd already started working with prisons on this camping project. And we we talked about the option of actually, would this be feasible to bring this into a prison? Would, would the men benefit from this type of work? Uh, so again, I make it sound easy, but it was a year year of negotiating with the prison before they yeah. uh, agreed. Because it, going back to what I mentioned about the type of things that come out of festivals, hmm. taking potentially drugs, weapons, um, soiled items into a prison yeah. environment isn't obviously um, a good idea. So we had to develop a process before taking the the tents into to the the prison but that's how it came about it was a year of negotiating with the prison before they agreed to do it it's something that they've never done before um and we actually work with the prison in nottingham so it's not on home turf um but this is one of the only prisons in the uk that have industrial um textile equipment and and all the different machinery that you you could possibly need embroidery mm. machinery machinery and uh, um everything else so um but what we did discover was, even though it's in Nottingham, over fifty percent of the men that are in that prison actually have a local connection to the northwest. Okay. Um. So quite surprisingly, it, it is still working with men from Manchester and Liverpool and Lancashire and surrounding areas. So that's how it started. Really, it, we we knew that the the John Moores couldn't replicate the project. They they were only going to do it as one of like one a pilot term as a yeah. pilot. So we wanted to find a, another partner to to work with. with. Yeah, and that's how it came about. How did all of the work with the prisons come about? Because you mentioned you were already working with them on the camping project. Like, where did that idea come from? That idea, I met a lady um, called Maria Desmond MBE. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's quite well known um, in Lancashire and, and Manchester. Um, Maria had a role as a networker, and this is why it's really important to network with people, um, with business in the community. So she was um, in this role for, for a year. I think it was funded by Lloyds Bank at the time. Um, and her role was to, to connect businesses within the community to mm-hmm. each other. Um, and I met her accidentally. Um, and, and it's a partnership that has just continued. She does a lot of work with within prisons. She's on the boards of prisons. Um, she's really socially focused. So she she we have that good, really good understanding, and we still speak, you know, on a daily basis. And she's introduced me to a lot of prisons and a lot of other businesses across the country, actually, um, which has seen me go into, you know, I've, I've been down to London and give 
talks to all the governors from all the prisons in the UK about the importance of working with social businesses out yeah. in the community rather than just keeping everything in-house within the prison. So um, that's how it met. It, it came from a, a networking opportunity early on in the business and it's just we've just clicked and we've, we've just maintained that relationship. Um, you know, and I, hopefully she'll join our board one day and, you know... <laughs> it's been said here, Maria. <laughs> You're joining the board. Yeah. Um, and I think you've just touched on a really important um, point, you know, that the power of networking, that yeah. really that value of peer-to-peer support. And I know you credit um, quite a bit of your success to that. And you are incredibly good at this skill and it is a challenge for some. Um, but how, how important is it to reach out to other entrepreneurs, other business people in your view? I, it's critical. It is absolutely critical. I know some businesses work by um, being working in isolation. Mm. Very few do. You, I, I can't stress it enough. I, I've been involved in School for Social Entrepreneurs, which was based in uh, Liverpool, but we had uh, a cohort of entrepreneurs from all over the northwest in that program. I've been on NatWest Accelerator program, which is based in Manchester. I'm now on that program again because I literally could not live without it. I need that support network. Yeah, I go to a lot of networking events. It is, I'm quite a self-conscious person, believe it or not, and I find it really dip- difficult to do. Uh, you know, you wake up in the morning, oh, you know, you know, you're feeling a little bit. Oh, I don't want to. Yeah, it's you've got to do it because you never know what's going to come out of that. Um, opportunity that that meeting it might not always be what you expect you might have someone that you want to speak to and it'll probably be the person that you've got nothing um in common with from your you know the outset but actually that you know when you get talking to people you realize actually you you know we're really beneficial to each other um so networking for me and I do cover quite a, an expansive area across the northwest of networking but it's it's pivotal to the business yeah um, I know you said that you're quite a self-conscious person, but um, you've done some pretty big sort of pitching challenges. And I mentioned VentureFest yeah. um, at the beginning of the of the podcast, um, which I was very lucky enough to be asked to to judge uh, amongst some very high profile people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was in front of a thousand people. What was that like? Because particularly if you you know you're saying that it's something that you have, it's a challenge for you. It's it was terrifying. <laughs> I can't find another way to describe it. It was terrifying. Yeah. For me, it was really, really, I was, my knees were shaking and everyone said it was a brilliant pitch. But, you know, but I was terrified, but I had to prepare for it. And when, um, when you're employed by someone, you have to do jobs, you, your boss delegates jobs to you that you don't particularly want to do, but you have to get on with it because they're your boss and you're getting paid to do it. When you're running a business, there are things you have to do that you don't particularly want to do but it's your business and you've yeah. got to do it. Um, and VentureFest was one, one of those things. But I think uh, preparation is key. So I spent the a few weeks beforehand um, working with Innovate UK and I had a couple of mentors coaching me. And I literally was like a sponge. I took on, on board everything they, they said and suggested um, and practised and practised and practised. Um, it took up a lot of time beforehand, but I think it was worthwhile to, yeah. to not fall over and you know all the things that could have gone wrong um so it it went quite smoothly but it was preparation um and I think 
I speak to a lot of new startup businesses and they're like, oh, I don't want to pitch. Oh, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, you know what? You've got to see it as a performance. Mm -hmm. I'm not an actor. I can't sing. I hate anything in the spotlight, but actually you've just got to, to see it as a performance. You've got to go out there. You're representing your business and you've just got to do it. That's it. You've got to kind of put a bit of skin in the game, whether yeah. that's yourself yeah. emotionally yeah. or, yeah. you know, capital. Yeah. Um, and you smashed it that day. You know, you came across incredibly well. That was the feedback I gave you on on, on the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you've got recognition now for, for the work that you're doing mm-hmm. and that, it, you know, the personal branding does pay off. You have to raise your, your profile. Yeah. And then that gets you on to the kind of, uh, to, into the attention of some of the, the awards. And you've recently won quite a, a notable one with the Great British Entrepreneur Awards, which is sponsored by um, RBS. Yeah. And you were named Entrepreneur for Good. For the North region. Yeah. yeah. How did that feel? I've got to be honest, it, it was a... A period of time that I'd had a bit of a confidence knock. I'd just done VentureFest. Um, I thought I was going to get, you know, investors on board and, and everything else, and it, it didn't happen. So my confidence had taken a bit of a knock. And then this award, and I wasn't even going to go, I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I had a million and one things happening that week, and I wasn't going to go, and it was literally a, an hour before I decided to go. That's, you know how it was I got to Old Trafford in from Liverpool in about 45 minutes and that was hair makeup and everything else done as well (laughs) um and but that that for me is one of my even from a previous career is one of my proudest moments and I can't you know without getting emotional it it was after three years of hard work, um, of many sacrifices, you know, not struggling to pay the mortgage and everything else in the early days, and to actually be recognised by a lot of influential people yeah, who know their stuff. Um, I, it's still very, very proud moment. And um, if I don't do anything else, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy with, with that award. It, it really was, you know, something that helped it came at the right time and it must have been that like you know it is nice to get that you you know you're doing good right you know you're doing some amazing stuff you're sorting out this waste problem you're you're empowering people in prisons and helping them prepare to come back out into sort of the sort of um the rehabilitate yeah yeah um um and you know that but it must be so good to get that validation from an objective bunch of people that this pivot that you've made was the right one today yeah i when you make this pivot and, you know, on the face of it, things were going really well. We were getting schools interested in, in the campaign and, you know, it was it was building gradually. It, I took a risk and that's how the best way to describe it. It was a risk. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I took a risk and it, it, it paid off. But it took a year after changing the business for, for to get that recognition. So a few weeks prior to Great British Entrepreneur Awards, I was on my own in a warehouse cleaning, what of a better word, excrement out of tents. <laughs> yeah. On my hands and knees, I was doing all these ridiculous, you know, things and getting really stuck in. I was thinking, am I just being daft have I just really messed up what was going to be a successful business by by doing this you know no one's paying me for these tents I've self-financed it myself I'm what am I doing yeah and I was having these little moments of really you know this is 
ridiculous, Julianne. You, you're on your hands and knees in the warehouse on your own, <laughs> scrubbing tents. Um, but it, it does validate it. It does make a difference that people get what, why you're doing it and that the pivot was the right thing to do. Yeah. And it still now feels like it was the right thing to do for for the business. And um, actually, when you start researching and investigating, it, it's a massive problem. It's not just festivals. It's the wider event industry. Yeah. And when you start investigating it, you start to identify more and more opportunities. So it, for me, it was it was definitely the right choice. Yeah. Um, and, and those awards and things just really cement that. Yeah, I think um, the one I saw was um, it was following the Pope's visit. Uh, sorry for the cliche reference, but um, the Pope's visit to Phoenix Park in Dublin mm-hmm. and they were just like, they had diggers and they were just all of these abandoned chairs and tents yeah. and everything just yeah. left behind and yeah. thousands of sandwiches thrown away and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And there's a huge homeless problem there and they could have done yeah. so much more with yeah. working with people like you. Yeah. So it's validated, you're cracking on, Yeah. you've got the people in the prisons and are they now making, are they now manufacturing or what, where are you with that? So, yeah, we're pretty much completed on this year's run. So mm-hmm. we went to the festivals last summer. So we're almost a year in. It is a year-round project. So it's not just, you know, you, you think about the process. You're taking yeah. tents. They've got to be... Sanitised. Sanitised. You, you've got Checked. to pitch every single one of them to see, you know, what's what's salvageable, what's... Because we try and use every aspect of the tent. You've got to clean them. So they have three stages of, of cleaning. And then you've got to deconstruct them. So you've got to remove every guy rope, every ground sheet, every inner tent. You've you've got to absolutely deconstruct every single bit of the tent so it ends up just as fabric. Yeah. Um, and then we take it to the prison. So literally as fabric, it goes to, to the prison. And we've tried to let the men have as much creativity. So actually the, the designs that we went in with uh, have changed considerably, but quite happy with that because the, the men have had influence in that um, and it's it's part of a, we're trying to nurture um, enterprise and entrepreneurship within the prisons not just see it as well the men are making these products for us we are trying to nurture that because I think that's, entrepreneurship is a, a much more desirable skill than yeah. some traditional tr- trades and, and probably empowering. will. Yeah. It's empowering Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're pretty much 100% completed on on the first round. Um, we we've got about 400 jackets and ponchos and bags, and every single piece. I'm, I'm very happy to say is 100% made out of festival waste. So right down to to the you know the fi- the fi- uh, the fastenings. So your zips, your buckles, mm-hmm. um, those type of things. They are all from tents. Amazing. So it's it's been quite a laborious and um, time intensive process, but actually the the end product is something that have been made by men that they can be really proud of. Uh, each one is individually signed by the men, so we have stars that have been made from um, quality street tubs left over at Christmas. Mm-hmm. They've been melted in and moulded into star shapes. And each man, uh, man within the prisoners uh, engraved it with his own name to say, you know, I've made this from hand, uh, handmade it from scratch. Um, and I think that's a real achievement, yeah. you know, from a few months ago, it being left on a field at a festival. So where can you buy these? Where could I go and get a poncho for my next festival? 
So being the entrepreneur, <laughs> I wasn't just going to... Do you have to go back to V-Festival? Are V-Festival no. going to stock them? No. Or Creamfields no. or whatever? No, it's work in progress at the moment. Okay. I did mention earlier, it's very hard to, to I do get think Creamfields and V-Festival should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, guys. Yeah. Um, no, initially, um, we, we looked about just putting it on our website. But with the rise of slow fashion, um, we've decided to create an online department store. So it's a multifaceted business. This is our next pivot, our next venture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an online department store for all things ethical, sustainable and eco fashion, including our own collection, Intense, as we've now called it. Um, and that's going to be launching on Star Wars Day. So being Million Stars, we've had to keep the star theme. Yeah. And that's May the 4th be with you. <laughs> so three weeks time, we're going to have... So I think we know what day we're doing this podcast yeah. launch. <laughs> May the 4th be with you. And that's going to be ecofashionhub.com. So it's going to be our collection, but we're, we're hoping to showcase a lot of other... There's so yeah. many fantastic um, social and ethical businesses in the UK who are who are doing very similar work. So we want to showcase them as well. I have one for you that I'm going to introduce you to. Oh, brilliant. Um, uh, the dress that I wore to Michelle Obama on Sunday night, Crow, sustainable fashion wear for women. I believe they're engaged with NetWest Accelerator. They well. are, yes. yes. So, yeah, they're on my, my list. This is all about networking and, yep. and surrounding yourself with the right people. Yep. So I saw a tweet from Andy Burnham yesterday and he's doing a, a marathon, I think. Uh, and he had a disposable plastic poncho on. So I have said to Andy, and I'm, I'm putting it on a podcast, so you know I've got to stick to it, that I will drop uh, one of our ponchos off into his office, and it's a reusable poncho for him in the next couple of weeks. Perfect. Yeah. So I think you've kind of told us what the next steps are in terms of building this, this eco-store, which yeah. sounds absolutely fantastic and keeps you right and bang on into the middle of your val- values. Is there a bigger vision? Like, what, where do you see uh, a million stars? Where would you like to see it? In, to the moon? Yeah, to the stars. What's your moon yeah. shot? The, the sky's the limit, as we yeah. say. Um, look, we're, we're taking waste um, and reusing it, which is great. However, prevention is better than cure. So my big vision is to see all events across the UK be sustainable, work towards zero waste events, and I, I don't think I'll rest until that happens. So in terms of festivals, we want to scale up every year. We want to increase the amount of tents that we do recover and repurpose so that they can be rented back year on year. So eventually in 10 years' time, there won't be an option to take your own camping equipment to a festival. You will have to hire it and it will be affordable. So it's not going to be... Um, you know, the, some of the high-end, you know, mm-hmm. £800 for a TP for the weekend. It's going to be affordable. But it's going to remove that option to actually leave your tent. So it's actually removing that completely from yeah. the equation. And I, I think we need to get that to that stage. There's no legislation in place, so we want to be lobbying for, for a change in legislation to improve the industry and improve the, the waste management within the industry. And when I talk about the industry, it's not just... Um, festivals I think we we can all be accountable so I've seen school trips I've seen charity fundraisers I've seen um award dues that have generated phenomenal amount of waste yeah and I think we all need to be responsible and it's about educating people to say you know sustainable events 
are it can be achievable and we, we need to be working towards that so prevention's better than cure um we would like to we're starting to look into inflatables so again bouncy castles lilos things like that um are, are often items that go to landfill and take years and years um to to degrade, degrade and they are they are something that, you know, not many people have found uses for. So we, we want to look into inflatables to to form a wetsuit. So there are other fabrics, effectively, that we, mm. we want to explore. But it all comes back to un- environment underpins everything we do. And it's at the forefront of what we do. And it's about prevention more than cure. Um, so these projects are great for raising awareness, but it's we need to tackle the, the root cause Head of on. it yeah. initially. We normally like to finish the podcast with some advice for the listeners, both mm-hmm. because there are other aspiring entrepreneurs in it from all walks of life. Yeah. Um, so if I asked you what was the best piece of advice that you've had along your own journey, um, what would you Ooh. say to that? I have Sounds like Maria was a good one. <laughs> you should do presents. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so many. Um, I think for me... And it will vary person to person, but for for me individually, I am single. I'm a homeowner, and I've been in survival mode for four years since starting the business. And we have good times, we have bad times, and I say yes to a lot of things. So I do freelance bid writing. I do freelance <laughs> various bits and bobs through the networks. Yeah, and, and you need your side hustles yeah, to keep. Yeah, you know. The roof over your head. But every time you do a side hustle, it takes you away from your vision. So for me, have a vision. You know, if you have to take time out weekly to, to focus on that vision, to visualise where you want to be in five years' time, in ten years' time, focus on that vision and only say yes to things that help you get to that vision, to that end goal. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's very easy to be distracted um, and to being entrepreneurial to identify other opportunities but just keep that focus keep your goal and only say yes to the things that you know the stepping Feed stones that. to that yeah uh, that's the first piece of advice and the second piece of advice is don't be scared to change change course always be forward thinking if you see legislation that's going to come in and um be beneficial to your business if you see a problem that you can solve Keep keep your eyes open. Keep looking outside of your business at what you know the, the landscape, the yeah. environment around you. What other entrepreneurs are doing? What successful businesses are doing? Use that information to to you know change your business. I always say I, I don't have a business plan. I have business model canvas, which I can change. You know, and and I literally. Fl- send it on to the direct and say we're now doing this yeah. no consultation <laughs> this is what we're doing but you've got to be on your feet and you've got to be ready to adapt and change and, and be flexible so don't be worried if it's not what you set out to do or what you've told people publicly you're going to do if it's not right for the business don't do it or if you see a better opportunity you can be flexible you can move it's your business at the end of the day yeah you're not answering to anybody yeah. but yourself yeah. right it's one of the very few benefits of being an <laughs> entrepreneur it's your business you, you can do it your way well I think that's a great piece of advice to end this podcast on um, this morning uh, Julianne thank you so much for coming in I've loved learning about uh, A Million Stars and all the great work that you're doing 
I'm definitely going to be signing up to Rico's Couture <laughs> to get my festival poncho and uh, look forward to seeing your pop-up stands at festivals reselling those products back to um, festival goers because I think that's a brilliant PR story yeah, on its own. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, listening to uh, Julianne's story and hopefully have taken some uh, tips away in terms of that um, opportunity to pivot and how you can do it successfully. Um, we love to hear your feedback, so please leave your reviews and messages on iTunes and also our SoundCloud um, platforms. Um, but for now, for those that are pivoting, we hope that you get a better night's sleep. Thank you. Present, like the fear from